have to be action oriented and take responsibility for when things go wrong. And that's from a doctor perspective, you know, taking full responsibility when things go wrong and helping exact change. Hola, hello, welcome and bienvenido to the Clear Birth Podcast. To my returning listeners, thanks for being here. And for my new listeners, I am your host, Annette Corral. Today, we will be speaking with Dr. Phillips. Dr. Camilla Phillips is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist, wife, mother, and lifelong women's health advocate. Since high school, she has been involved in local, national, and international organizations aimed at advancing women's health care issues through advocacy and direct patient care. Dr. Phillips graduated from Stanford University with a degree in human biology with an emphasis in women's health and human sexuality. Her guilty pleasures include reality TV. As a real world alumni, she has used this platform to travel nationwide to discuss domestic violence, smoking cessations, and other health related issues. She loves a good bargain, flowers, and a deep tissue massage. Welcome, Dr. Phillips, to my podcast. I'm so happy to have you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so glad we could finally connect. Yes, exactly. And I, I'm going to be very respectful of your time and try to zoom through this so that I know you have a birth pending. So I just want to want to get you through this as quickly as possible, hopefully without interruptions. Um, so the first question I want to I, I start with is what career did you want to do when you were in grade school, high school and in college? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I revisit this in my head so much, especially when I'm having like a a rough day at work. But I actually tell people that I should have been what now we call a creative. (laughs) I would have loved to, I should have been a caterer. Um, Mm. I love to create and show love through food and, um, I envisioned being like a um, a caterer slash florist and doing mm-hmm. events. Um, when I was in medical school, I lived next to this um, really cute floral stand. And every day when I was driving to school, I was like, I should ask her if I could volunteer. I should ask her. If I-. And that was just me repressing <laughs> the fact <laughs> I I would have been an event planner. And in my next life, I will be an event planner. Well, I mean, the way things are going, you could probably do both right now. It's like, I know. yeah. So what brought you to birth work? Um, so, yeah, <laughs> you know, I grew up in, like many people, a house that was run by women. Um, clearly, my dad and my grandfather had very strong male role models, but at the end of the day, my house was run by some bomb women. And at a really young age, I realized that when my mom wasn't 100%, when my aunts didn't feel well, or when my grandmother's health was getting out of control, you know, I was a kid, so I was selfish. Like, I realized that I suffered. You know, my hair didn't look as good if it got combed at all. You know, dinner was like, eggs and toast or cereal. Um, And, you know, I realized at a really young age that when the women in my family did not feel well, um, that everyone was affected, no matter who you were. And as I got older, I translated that into, oh, women's health care. Oh, gynecology. Oh, obstetrics. And um, it was a very natural transition for me. Uh, in the process of understanding that when the when our culture, when our world, when our communities keep women healthy, that everyone does better. And so it is my commitment to the world to birth healthy babies and keep keeping and, and keeping women healthy during pregnancy as my contribution to keeping families healthy. That's wonderful. I mean, to have that, I had a similar perspective early on where I picked up um, my mother's, my sister's is 10 years older than me, Our Bodies Ourselves. And oh, yeah. I was fascinated and would ask my mother questions and she's like, put that down. You don't talk, you know, 
Right, right. We just don't do those things. So in my mind, and I, I was bi-coastal most of my life. I was born here, but I was raised in Panama the first five years of my life. And then I came back and went down every summer until I was 10 and stayed down until I was 14. And then my 10-year-old thinking, I was like, I'm going to be an OB. And then came back and went to an all-girls Catholic school and did horribly in math. And they were like, you'll never be an OBGYN. And I was like, oh. Oh, no. Yeah, really awful. I mean, all girls Catholic school. So you already know. It was just like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So I was like, but in a way it was great because it brought me to birth work in a different angle, which is now bringing Mm -hmm. me back to birth work. I'm going back to school to finish my BA to become a midwife. So nice. I'm I'm coming back to it. I'm coming back to it. Exactly. Good, good. What advice do you wish you received before becoming an OB? Before becoming an OB? You know, I wish I had someone who encouraged me to understand the business of medicine. Um, It's something that we don't think about. And unfortunately, what I'm experiencing now is that business people and insurances are taking over or have taken over medicine. And that's been a really hard transition for me as a doctor and for patients to understand. Um, I think that if care, the actual caregivers, the people who are delivering the care had more say in medicine as opposed to business people, we would do a better job with our outcomes and minimizing all the red tape people have to go through all the no's before you get a yes for something as simple as like a blood pressure cuff. Um, I think that if I had known about the business of medicine before going into medicine itself, all of us would do better. Um, So I wish I had maybe spent some time, not necessarily going to business school, but really understanding how you advocate for patients um, in a way that's not directly in the the exam room, but sort of outside the exam room, um, and whether that be political or through the economics of medicine, I wish I had had um, a better understanding of that. And. That's fascinating, but it's also something I, I'm very aware of as a doula, um, all of the no's that, that clients get and the choice, the lack of choice that they have when it comes to where they give birth and who they give birth with. Do you think that knowing that information beforehand would have made you be able to advocate more or done more advocacy in that respect? What do you think would have been different? I think that I probably would have been more inclined to join administrative groups um, and, and maybe I would have chosen a clear leadership path earlier on. Um, Again, I just find that people who are making decisions and saying no and um, making up these rules don't actually deliver care. So it's very easy to say no to some nameless, faceless medical record number, one, two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. But when you're actually delivering care to uh, Lisa Nelson, she has two other kids. Her last kid was complicated by uh, preeclampsia. So she actually needs this blood blood pressure cuff from the beginning of like when you have a, a, your hand in the community, you know, your heart in the community, it helps you make better decisions overall, as opposed to just seeing people as numbers and widgets and paper. Um, So I think having that experience may have encouraged me to do more leadership because I, I know the community. Okay. That kind of ties straight into one of the reasons why I saw you on Instagram and you had a post where we were talking about the maternal mortality rate. You were talking about the maternal mortality rate because of an incident of yet another young woman dying um, while giving birth. I think the incident you were speaking about was uh, the Woodhull incident. The Woodhull. The incident. Um, 
And I, and this was the first time that I had seen a physician speak about clear things that we can do to kind of help change the needle. And, and I was like, this is great. And I, I'm all about solution based. And I want you to talk to that as a speak, like kind of just review what you said, Mm -hmm. um, what steps people need to take and what actions we can do. Yeah. So, um, oh my gosh, that was a really bad day. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Bad day for me. I was so hurt and pained when, um, I learned of Shaysia's story. You know, I trained at that institution as a resident. I went to Woodhall and, you know, when you're a resident, you're definitely not empowered. You're just there to work and look and, you know, I, I was shocked by some of the things that I saw, but I was like, no, that's not the norm. And then as you go back, you're like, wait a second, this place is, can be off the chain, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and really it was a place that even then when I was training needed a lot of support. So when I heard of her really unnecessary death, it was heartbreaking. Um, and so I called some nurses that work there and, were there and just listening to the story was heartbreaking. Um, so yeah, there are a number of things that we can do. And, um, I really encourage people and it's all of us. We have a lot of things to do, but we have to be action oriented. We have to be action oriented and take responsibility for when things go wrong. And that's from a doctor perspective, you know, taking full responsibility when things go wrong and helping um, exact change. So one of the things that I find to be a problem is across the board, when we have healthcare providers, this is everyone. And people, I got some negative feedback on this, but this is everyone. This is doctors who practice bad medicine This is nurses who um, walk out of the room and don't pay attention to changes in tracing, changes in blood pressure as they see it, you know, continuously going up. This is doulas who come in and drop off a patient and then go home. We have bad actors in the medical field across the board, across the board. For example, the other day we had a patient come in who was doing a midwife delivery um, at home, the the patient was completely outside the scope of what a midwife should be caring for. The baby is now, the baby was essentially born brain dead and is on cooling. Complete bad actors in every scope. So me, OBGYN, nurses, doulas, um, midwives, we have to acknowledge that there are people not performing at the top of their skill set and hold these people accountable. And so, for example, the Woodhall situation was someone who was not performing at the top of their skill set and performing the best medicine. We have to read these. These are the people who need to go because literally when we are, we are responsible for life and death. And that is not to give us some, you know, God complex, but it just really speaks to how important our job is and how important that you show up to your job and to your work a hundred percent all the time. And so when we're not at the top of our game, doctors, we have to go, we have to go because literally people die when we don't do our best job. So that was one point of like, making it clear that if you're not um, caught up on your reading, if you don't have good skills, if you don't have good clinical judgment, you need to find another field because people are losing their lives um, and it's not acceptable. The other piece of what troubles me specifically in New York when we have black and brown women dying at alarming rates, um, three that I know of this year, is acknowledging that medicine in general, but OBGYN in particular, has 
very strong, um, a very strong racist history. A lot of the um, information that people that we think we know um, about women's bodies, women's health was formulated during slavery. Yes. Where I feel like this concept of a quote unquote strong black woman developed where, you know, women labored in the fields, literally had a baby and went back to work somehow that that was praised. Yes. Right. No choice of their own. Right. Because it was just to optimize work, not work. For health, exactly. Yeah, this was not about a mother. This was yes. not about, this was, you know, these people were li- literally a commodities yes. and all about the product. Um, you know, experimentation on black um, men, women, and babies that developed um, this very negative and completely racist belief that black women or black people in particular have different nerves that allow us to have less pain um, during surgery, during childbirth. Um, I was on a Zoom call a few months ago with another MFM in the South, and she was talking about how she was sitting in Grand Rounds, and the presenter was talking about different hemorrhage protocols, and he literally said, you know, I see your hemorrhage rates you know, black women bleed more, except blah, 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 blah. Oh and she sat in the audience and was mortified. So this, again, misconception that our blood is different, that our nerves are different, that we tolerate stress differently um, than our white counterparts has all come to contribute to our bias in um, the birthing field. And it, it's at the detriment of black and brown women. You know, our implicit bias, the inherent racism in our practice um, that I would also extend to obese people. We treat women who are overweight very differently. We treat our single mothers differently. We treat our poor families differently, our LGBTQ families differently. All of these biases, but in particular, our racism that we have in medicine um, impacts us to the level that black women are not being listened to and we in fact die as a result of that. Um, this is a little bit of a side, but I was watching that Serena, what was it called? It was a documentary like, that she did yeah. on HBO about her birth. Yes. Her birth. I, I mean, was, I was, first of all, I, as, as just as an, a doula watching this, trying to understand when she was getting in the car going, the doctor said the baby's coming today. That I was just like, wait, you're, you're being induced. There was just so much that was missing. From, I'm like, you're being induced. And wait, you have a condition that your doctor knows you have, but she's going to induce you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. There were so many. And again, I've been on reality TV, so I understand editing 100%. Yes. There were so many missing pieces to that Yes, story I know. I was like, I how? Was like, what? Why? I got up and walked out. I couldn't because I, w- I was tearing up. She was crying. I was crying. And I was like, Serena, what are you doing? Like, what is Why? Why? There were so, so, so many missing pieces to that story, but I was like, even your your fame, your money, your prestige did not protect you. Your access to information. This doctor did a house call. I was like, wait, wait, when, when Obi is doing house calls now, what? I do house calls stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, they, oh, that's good to know. But yeah. I mean, that's not the norm, right? No, she, she did a house call. Not. She had a doula. She had information and. It just all, it still slipped through the cracks. Yeah. yeah. So there were, there were so many missing pieces to that story. I didn't hear anything about anticoagulation. I didn't yes. hear anything about like, wait, your what pops? Like, <laughs> yes. So. Or the reason for the C-section, because it was like, oh, the baby's heart rate just went. And I hate when they do that. Like, was this a period over time? Like, there's right. no information given. It's like, just baby's heart rate just went down. And it's like, right. Right. So for people like us, yes, that was a very problematic episode, but it just, it reinforces to me that, you know, despite 
access information, money, your risk factor as a black woman, really arguably one of the most recognized women, people in the world, you still weren't listened to. Mm -hmm. You still weren't listened to. Mm -hmm. You said, oh, I've had this before. This is happening to me. And you weren't listened to. So imagine, you know, when you or I walk in a room. Yeah. Okay. Those that implicit bias and that then we're and we all have biases. Yeah. I acknowledge mine all the time. That's why I feel comfortable talking about them because I know where my shortcomings are. Yes. Um, but those biases, the inherent racism that we bring with us, literally causes people to die. Yeah. And so um, that's that's something like in medicine that we have to work on that has to be a hard stop. I'm actually on one of the culture groups in my hospital. And I, before this call, I was on the phone, like crafting our mission statement because we have to really have pillars that allow us to have a guiding light that we are going to acknowledge that we must do better for all women when they cross these doors. Um, so that was one of the, the parts that really that really re- resonates with me. Like in medicine, we have to do better, but particularly in maternity, because not that I feel like women in and of themselves should be respected, right? I'm Camila. That's all I need to be to deserve your respect and highest level of care. But particularly when we're in maternity, these are women who are mothers yes. to children. to, um, sorry, I'm going to like get teary, but their wives to husbands or to other women, they are daughters. They belong to people and it's our responsibility to get them home. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. It's, it's, I just, before you got on the call, I just, um, saw another doula friend posted that we lost another one, another woman, Mia. I didn't get the last name, 25-year-old woman. And, you know, as a doula, or just as a person. um, As a person. As a person. This is heartbreaking. It's It continues to be heartbreaking because at all levels – it just feels like there's this continuous, they're trying to kill us at every level. If it's not in the hospital, it's when we walk out in the streets. It's all of the, the microaggressions that we have to deal with on a daily basis. And then a, a moment that's supposed to be the most yeah. joyous of our lives and the most prepared. And that's when we're the least prepared um, right. for a lot of women. And where every woman you know, deserves to have a doula, uh, deserves, and it's just not for the protection in the hospital. It's just for the information because we're not getting the information about what can happen to you. Not so, so much the doom and gloom, but in the sense of like what can happen and how you can educate yourself and how that is helpful to have another set of eyes on. Yeah. I, I have some mentees who who are at the phase in their career where like partners are like, well, why do I want you in the room when I can have my grandmother who's had a baby, for example, (laughs) if you haven't had a baby, just not understanding the importance of having someone who knows the medical system with them. Exactly. So that beautifully springs into my next point of the post was that, um, Having access to quality care um, is like a non-starter. Having access to a doula for birth support, if you want a doula, is a non-starter. We have to provide everyone with quality, accessible culturally sensitive and appropriate, and I think most importantly, free birth education so they understand what this process is about. And 
for the most part, um, labor and pregnancy for young, healthy people is a very straightforward process. Most of the time, nothing goes wrong. But then the times things start to go wrong, I don't think women really understand how difficult this process can be and how challenging on your body, your psyche, your emotional state, this process can be. And I think you need education every single step of the way. Your first trimester is very different than your second trimester, is very different than your third trimester, is very different if you're a a woman of African descent, is very different if you're a native indigenous person, is very different if I'm looking out on Fifth Avenue right now, if you live in one of these towers versus you live on the Lower East Side. We have to have pre-accessible and appropriate prenatal care for women, prenatal care and education, because I think those are two different things, but education that helps lead them along the way um, to give them information of the things that they should be thinking about, the things that they can control in pregnancy, um, the things that they have access to if they know to ask. Um, For example, you know, this, we talk about doulas a lot. There is a misconception. And again, every place is different, but you know, my grandmother always used to say a closed mouth doesn't get fed. You know, you have to speak it. I'm interested in a doula and people might think it costs thousands of thousands of dollars, but there's actually women who volunteer their services and are there for women at, um, lower or no cost. And so it is available you know, across or depending on where you live. And so I think quality education for women to help them understand the changes that their body is going through, give them anticipatory guidance to help lead them through this process is, is critical. It's critical. Um, one of the other points that I brought up is are things that really, I think as individuals, um, and I'm not saying that anyone's, anyone caused their death by any means, but I really want people to feel empowered that they can modify things in their pregnancy and that they have agency over their bodies and their health. And I, one thing that's really important to me, and it's a fine line because patients get kind of testy if I start asking about their plans for reproduction, but is having people understand that there's a concept of preconception counseling and health and that women who are, for example, overweight or diabetic or hypertensive or, you know, have other medical conditions but are of reproductive age, you could very possibly get pregnant if you're engaging in such things. And so if you're planning on getting pregnant, I really have my patients work on things that they can modify. Many of us can control um, our level of exercise. For some of us, it's more of an effort than others. But if I have patients who are maybe 15 pounds over what a sort of a goal weight is, and I'm not asking any of my women to be skinny minis, but we know when we used to be a size 12 and now we're like a 14. Um, so, you know, just acknowledging like, Hey, this is a really special time in our life. Let's do the best that we can. So if you guys are planning to get pregnant next year, let's look at this extra time. When I saw you in 2017, this is what you weighed. Helping women optimize their health before um, conception, I think is a really important concept that we don't think about a lot. People who um, are hypertensive, let's talk about getting on a blood pressure medicine so that we can optimize your outcome for when you get pregnant. And when they are pregnant, these are the women I have taking their blood pressure at home because you only see me once a month, right? And the stages. So I'd like, I give them homework and they, they come in with their little charts filled out. 
I want to know what your blood pressure is at home so I can catch elevations early, so I can start medications early, so we can optimize your outcomes. Um, and so this concept of preconception health um, is something that I think needs to be more widely disseminated so women can, can help modify and control what they can control. And I think a lot of us think this is all out of our hands. And yes, some of it to some degree is, but we have a lot of power to, to control what we can control. And so I encourage people to do that. Um, just looking at my post, um, we, we touched on a final part, um, and that's the use of doulas, um, this is another part that I got some heat with. <laughs> so I got a lot of outreach about and I'm in discussions with people about because just like physicians, and I'm going to say it, all physicians are not created equal. Exactly. All, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and all and doulas I, are not as well. I, all, I can acknowledge that also. We had a patient come in, um, when was it, two days ago, and the doula came in, dropped her off, and was like, I'm going to go, literally was like, I'm going to go home and get some rest, and I'll come back when you're in active labor. Like, I'll come back. She was already four centimeters, which to me implies that this is about to start popping off. Yes, because that was that. That's the old active labor was four centimeters. Yeah, <laughs> now was, it's six. It's not that far off, right? For he I, was tracking actively, and I was like, "Where are you going? You're, this is this is go time, right?" Yes, this is go time. She wants an unmedicated labor. Where are you going? You know, yeah. um, really recognizing that doulas are a cornerstone of this process, but not all doulas are created equal. And I really want patients that if they're going to have this experience, um, cause I still, unfortunately, I still believe it's kind of a privileged experience in New York. I only see people who have access having doulas. And again, as I mentioned, that is a problem. We need to have the access across the board for anyone who wants this experience. But if you have a doula, I think the doula should be present and working with you and engaging. And it's a labor is, is exhausting. I think I last slept, slept at my house on Sunday. Today's Wednesday. Yeah. This is a, this is not for the weak or weary. Yes. Yeah. But again, I think as our partners in health and labor, um, in birthing, postpartum, lactation, we have to have well-trained doulas who um, give timely, evidence-based information to patients so that we're on the same page with health. Um, and I, I feel like doulas, and I know a lot of them do, again, this is just my experience over the decades, but doulas should come to doctor's appointments. I've had doulas who were like, no, I'm not going to come to your doctor's appointment. Red flag. Oh, Dr. Phillips. It is. I I, I'm going to say this because you provide a service from what I'm hearing of collaborative care. Mm -hmm. You do. I've been a doula for 17 years and I can, I can guarantee you that I've had maybe I stopped counting 10 years ago now and I was at a thousand births. Mm-hmm. I've had very few women who have been with OBs who have had collaborative care. And the only reason why most OBs want doulas at the appointment is to assert their authority because mm-hmm. it's never been a case of what do you feel about this for the most part, for most of them. And, mm-hmm. and, and even so, it, it is extremely time-consuming to go to someone's doctor appointment where they're not going to be seen for an hour or two, and I have a limited amount of prenatals with you and a limited amount of engagement with you. And that makes it challenging if I have 
four clients a month mm-hmm. doing prenatals and also going to doctor's visits. I, there, there has to be a way that we can collaborate with, without the doula physically going to the hospital. FaceTime. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, even FaceTime. Yes, we, that is an option. Technology. Yes. We yes. have to use our technology. And I absolutely hear you when, when you say that you've gone to appointments and the doula was not welcomed and or it was an opportunity for the doctors to sort of assert their authority. I 100%, 100%. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of us working together as a team for the elevation yes. of the labor process for everyone, doctors, yeah. nurses, midwives, doulas, that we have to learn to work together in a collaborative effort so our women come in healthy, leave healthy with a healthy baby in their arms. And that requires us to open our mouths and get to know each other and understand where each other is coming from. And it takes a conversation. And I agree with you, coming to OB appointments are sometimes very time consuming, but that is also the blessing of our technology. When patients, even husbands, or partners, I should say, they can't come to all visits. All right, I'm going to see you in five minutes. Get her on the phone. You know what I mean? So you be there so we can at least have that first interaction where I'm like, hey, I'm Dr. Phillips. This is, you know, her 35-week visit. This is what we're doing so that we don't meet each other, you know, on the quote-unquote battlefield of labor. Yeah. And and I think that we all could just do so much better. So I should speak for myself. I personally love it when I even have like a phone conversation, a FaceTime call, um, or a physical visit with whoever is on the patient's birthing team. And whether that's a doula, whether that's their partner, if it's their mother, whoever has influence over your life and your in and influence in your decision making i would like to be a part of knowing who that person is knowing what their background and experience experiences are so that again when it comes down to the nitty gritty we recognize that we're all on the same team yeah so i think for me that's what that is about and just like doctors need to do better because I've, you know, we've seen it in action. We know what it is like to have an amazing doula by your bedside. Yeah. We all need to elevate our game. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I, I feel that, you know, I often wish, one of my wishes is that we start teaching this in, in grade school and we start, mm-hmm. we keep up the education as to women's health and boys need to be included in this as well. Oh, yeah. Um, at all throughout and that it's not an elective when you get to college, that it is mandatory that you learn about these things, you know, and I often say, I, I find it very difficult and challenging when, you know, someone goes, Oh, I want the experience, but I don't, I, the cost is an issue, but you yeah. had a wedding where you spent $75,000 on you know what? flowers. Pre- you know, and I'm like, we need to start educating people about this and our healthcare system really isn't set up for you to have care to stay at home for longer than six, eight, or maybe 12 weeks. And people think that is that is grace. And it's like, it really isn't we need more time. Um, and maybe saving halving that cost of that wedding and saving the rest for when you get pregnant. So on the back end, you don't have to rush back to work or you have the resources available to you to help you through this process. And, and, and I hear you when it comes to doulas. Like I often tell, tell my clients, like ask your doctor if they like doulas or if they're welcome doulas and listen to what they say. And, and I often get, and I get it. Like I, I only see me. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. I, I know other doulas, but I don't see them in action. I'm not in the room with them. And I often tell my clients, it's like, 
a cab driver. When you get into a cab and you have a bad experience, the next experience you have when you get in that cab, you're going to be wondering, mm. and doulas mm. are like that. Like, is this doula yeah. going to be like that? And then I have to walk in the room and show, I don't know what that doula did, but I'm going to show you what I can do. And yeah. try to to make it a team effort because I never, you know, I never want to walk into a situation where it's contentious. I had those early on in my career and as I, and it helps no one. No it way. helps absolutely no one, especially the laboring mom. So I, I, it's great to hear that, that you are for collaborative care in that respect. Yeah. That, that means, yeah. that means a lot. Yeah. It, it's so funny. You mentioned the wedding too, because, um, I have patients who are like, oh, these are the doulas we use and, you know, have conversations and they come back and they're like, oh, I have to pay for the doula. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, what what did you think was happening here? Um, But they're like, oh, I'm paying for my, I mean, you've seen it too. I've seen baby showers that are phenomenal. Baby showers, a baby shower. And then on top of it, a gender reveal. Exactly. Exactly. And to, to sort of getting back to my point of like how everyone has to do better. Everyone. It includes patients too. Yes. It includes patients too. I get really frustrated and I tell my patients like you just came in here with a new Chanel bag, but you don't want to pay for your birthing experience like to help to have someone be your one-on-one to nurture you through one of the arguably most intense mm-hmm. <laughs> right mm-hmm. meaningful significant times in your life i need you to adjust your priorities yes and i think that it's really something that all of us have to do better with explaining the the importance of doula support, explaining the value of doula support. Um, again, you know, antepartum, intrapartum, postpartum, lactation, explaining that value um, and having patients understand that maybe I, maybe that I don't need that gender reveal. Maybe those resources would serve me better by having the ability to have someone come home and help encourage my breastfeeding to help me with breastfeeding. Cause Mm -hmm. you know, I'm gonna get booted out of the hospital in two days and I'm going to need that support. Those are the, to me. And again, it's my bias. I recognize that, but those are to me are the more meaningful things in life. The ability to, um, feel confident in your breastfeeding, feel confident in your body while you're pushing, feel confident in your ability to raise this baby once we leave you, once we send you home from the hospital that are more meaningful. And we have to put resources behind that. And sometimes that means not having a 200 person baby shower. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes I agree with you on that. All I of us with have that. that. And yes. that includes- Yes. <laughs> yes, I agree. That is this is a great way to segue into the next little segment real quick. Um, this segment I like to call Daily Inspiration. And what is your favorite scent? Oh my gosh. My favorite scent? You know what? I think you did send me this. And I had <laughs> Um, you know what? Right now, my favorite scent is peppermint. Mm. It's weird. Peppermint for me is b- both calming when I need it to be calming. Mm-hmm. And it's also invigorating when I need like a pick me up. Yeah. So right now I'm using a lot of um, peppermint. I rub it in my hands and inhale it. And lavender is my other one. Um, uh, it helps me like sleep and center myself. Um, I bought a lavender plant to bring in the office. Um, so when I do procedures, I break off a few leaves and I give it to the patient to rub while we're mm-hmm. listening to music. And Wonderful. Doing- those, those are my two. Okay. You know, you can put it on your scrubs and have it all day. I know. Well, yeah, the way my that- scrubs smell right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. I feel a little- <laughs> I find myself stronger. 
<laughs> What's a book, film, show, or podcast that's inspiring you right now? Book, film, or podcast? Hmm. Or show? Maybe horrible. I... Okay. No, I don't. You know, honestly, this is going to be bad. I don't have one right now. And part of it is because um, since starting my private practice, I don't do I don't do anything except my practice and my like home life, Um, which is not a good example to set. I don't want to say, but right. My private practice is like a six month old baby and you still keep them unattended. And so all of my time and energy is either the practice or literally my babies at home um, or things around birthing and birth work that, that give me joy. So I haven't made much time for outside pursuits right now. Um, Especially since when I go home, I, I turn on the TV and like, if this fool is on TV, I just have to turn it off because it's not good for my psyche and my Mm -hmm. spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, I live in New York and we just came out of, you know, the craziness of COVID and yeah. that's a lot out of me. I absolutely have PTSD. So all of the stuff that's going on in the country, I can't handle because we've already been through that. Mm-hmm. So my joy right now is in activity. If I'm not doing the practice, delivering babies or with my babies, I'm, um, I have a little backyard and I garden. So I don't, I, I just do that and, and it brings me joy and I go out with my son and he picks tomatoes and like that, that's my happy space right now. I'm not reading anything. Okay. Okay. And then my, one of my last segments, and I know it's hard to choose because I believe you have three children. Mm -hmm. I, I love to hear birth stories. If there's any part of I don't even know. You can't pick one because it's like yeah. your favorite child or just the yeah. overall theme of like what you thought going into it with your first and what changed after your second and third. Maybe that mm. would be a good way to kind of frame it. Um, you know, I think one thing I always think about when I had my first, I did get induced. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember... What I remember most, though, is when I, um, when my doctor told me I was fully dilated, <laughs> I took my scarf off my head and I like crimped my hair and I put on this fierce red lipstick, Ruby Woo. Every black woman, Ruby has Woo, it. yes, <laughs> I have that color. <laughs> and I, uh, we were looking at pictures the other day of me putting on my lipstick before I pushed out my baby girl. She's six now. Um, just because I was so grateful to have her that I just wanted to look like as pretty as I possibly could. <laughs> if I was, you know, if I was going to be her first face, I just was so excited and grateful that she had come to me that I always, that makes me smile when I think about like putting on my lipstick and uh-huh. waiting for my first baby. Um, so that was a special story. And then I had my two girls kind of close, close together. And I thought I was done with childbearing. And um, this is way TMI, but I wasn't using contraception because I'm, when you have two kids and you're a full-time gynecologist, <laughs> you I don't remember like, what's, yes. We don't have sex. Well, no, we don't have sex. So that's get, was, yeah. Okay. Uh, that's the like, other. <laughs> I, yeah. That's the other thing. I was like, I'm yeah. not, I don't have sex. Yeah. yeah. And when I realized I was pregnant with my third, I was both elated and mortified at the same time. <laughs> I was, I was like, I'm the worst GYN ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, did you hear? Did you hear about Audra? Audra, I always forget her last name. The stage actress, the Broadway oh, stage actress. Broadway. At, uh, yes, at fifty, 
she thought she was going through menopause and went in and she found out she was pregnant. <gasps> yeah. Oh, and she oh. had to cancel the show. So she didn't know either. She's like, I just thought I was pregnant. I was going through menopause. Oh my yeah. God. So you're that, not alone. I am not alone. But so, you know, I talk about and I tell patients often, I'm like, look, you want to learn from me? Yes. And so I was so, I didn't tell my parents for forever. I got this big old belly. And my dad's looking at me. What, does she not think that we don't know what's going on? But um, I had a C-section for my third. And I didn't find out what I was having because I have two amazingly powerful little girls that um, I just knew I was having another girl. And in my head... I was like almost intimidated by having a third girl because I was like, they're going to run circles around me. Um, <laughs> because girls are smart and witty and fat. I can't even keep up with them sometimes. My older one was like, Mom, you know, I realize that grownups really don't know everything. <laughs> like, oh, they're so. They realize that you're not the smartest person. They realize. You're like, oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, they realized that I don't have it all together yeah. <laughs> quite early. And um, my other special experience is when <clears throat> my doctor was delivering the baby and she said, it's a boy. And I didn't look the entire pregnancy. I didn't want to know. I was like, I'm going to be a mother of three. I thought I was going to be like Michelle Obama and just have yes, these girls. two little mom, you uh -huh. know, that I was raising. And when she said it's a boy, I just never thought I would hear that. And I was like, "No, let me see his balls." That's the only, <laughs> that's the only thing I kind of remember from that delivery. Mm -hmm. I just remember saying, "Let me see his balls," and she showed them to me, and then I just went to sleep. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are lipstick and let me see his balls. Those let, are the lipstick, and th that needs to be on a t-shirt. <laughs> I would wear it. Yeah. A quote. As a matter of fact, I'm going to quote that. <laughs> oh, the, those are my family those creation are, stories. Oh, that's my wonderful. Family. That is yeah. so wonderful. Thank yeah. you so much for, for being here. Can you tell people where they can find you? Yes, yes. I am on Instagram at Dr. Camila Says. Um, Camila is with a K-A-M-E-E-L-A-H. And from there, you'll also see... Um, that I'm at Cala Women's Health. I have my private practice here in Manhattan. Congratulations. Thank Congratulations you. for your private practice. And thank you thank so much for being here today. I'm so glad it worked out time-wise oh, and baby-wise. Right. The, the, the babies, you know. Yeah, I have 12 phone calls. Uh, you haven't okay. seen my phone okay. going off. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> thank you so much. And I, I hope to see you, well... Once this all passes, I hope to yes. meet you in person. Yes, I would love that. I would, yeah, love, that. I would love that too. All right, thank you for being on Thank you for your time. Oh, thank you. Gracias. Thanks for listening to the Clear Birth Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find me on Instagram at the Clear Birth Podcast. If you want to send me an email, you can reach me at theclearbirthpodcast at gmail.com. Adios. Hasta luego. Goodbye. Until next time.